What up? What's up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of the This Is Not That podcast. I'm Joanna, one of your hosts here with the homies. Say what's up, y'all. What's going on, guys? It's Isaiah. What up with y'all? This is Raphael Paula from the Great Beyond. Also known as my telephone. Yeah. <laughs> the purgatory. Yeah, technology is not our friend today, so Rafi has dialed in, um, but we're all here and that's what matters. I think we got a great show ahead of us, um, a lot of things going down, as um, everybody knows, but we'll start like how we always start, let's do the shit, what's been going on with y'all? Isaiah, go ahead, my man, because... All know- right. All right, yeah, I feel it. Yeah, you know, my week, you know, the the last couple of weeks for me have been in, and I mean, I I feel all right. Backing up to sound less selfish, I guess it's been it's been really stressful for a lot of people across the state and country. Last couple of weeks with the written house thing, um, you know, I spent a lot of days list, listening to the raw streams and everything of the courts of the court stuff avoiding the internet when he when he cried on the stand and it flooded the internet like every meme um that was a lot that was really exhausting just to be a, a an onlooker of that and writing about it let alone probably being involved in it so over the weekend a couple of my a good friend of mine that i've known for a long time him him and his dad were going to go up hunting like three hours up north and i've never been hunting before and i love the woods and i needed to get away so we went out to uh, Anigo, I think it's called Anigo, Wisconsin. There is a nice cabin on the Bass Lake. I call it so-called because it was like a big house, like a Mequon type house. It's not really a cabin. We didn't catch no deer. We saw some does, didn't take no bucks, sat out, sat out in the woods really cold in the early morning. But it was honestly nice because it's like you're so cold that you can't you don't really have time to think about your problems. I didn't touch my computer all weekend, even though I brought it. I wanted to work on some of my fiction writing, you know, and I didn't even touch any of it. I was just kind of content. It was really nice, actually. And then when we came back to the city, you could feel the heaviness in the air. It was ridiculous. It was really good. I saw some bald eagles. I saw a dead badger on the side of the road. That's sad, but badgers are rare. It's, it's cool to see them. Um, I actually saw the bald eagles as my mom was texting me saying that Kyle was Kyle Rittenhouse was not guilty. I don't know if that was some weird sign or not. If it was, I don't know how to interpret it. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. besides that, besides all that, that's pretty much how my weekend was. It was nice, relaxing. We left Friday. I got back Monday, you know. Nice. I'm, so, I'm so glad that you got away. Like, I really am glad that you were able to unplug from all the tech um, in your in your world um, and just like really took some time off because you've been doing a lot of stuff and you and you cover a lot of heavy, heavy topics that and issues that are impacting our communities. And I think that it's just really important that we're, you know, taking care of ourselves, um, especially when we feel like we're constantly losing in, in these battles of social justice. 
or stalemating or whatever. Or sometimes it's like, you know, it's easy to kind of forget, uh, like if it's, if it, you know, if, if however you're involved, uh, in social change, uh, if it's kind of like just something you do, not like a hobby or something, but if it's just so natural to your routine and everything, then you can kind of trick yourself into thinking that you don't need a break from it, you know? And that's kind of how my job is. Um, for a long time, it was just something I did that I was good at and I'm paid to do it. So it's really easy to forget to take off and that wear and tear exists. What about y'all? What did y'all do this weekend? And this weekend, I was, I had to do like a real self check on myself because to be honest with you, when the verdict came down, I was, of course, upset, but like I was also numb to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. This has been my whole life. You know what I mean? Like, I I can't, like, I was seven years old when Ronnie King was, and the police officers let go, right? And then just, Think about the last just decade of what we've been through. It was weird. Um, I, I think I talked to a black person, one black person that was shocked by the verdict. Not one. Uh, and the response was like, "Oh yeah, we knew that was going to happen. We, we we knew that was going to happen." And I, I don't know what that means for us when we just have become kind of numb to it, or even almost a weird acceptance. Of uh, of it as a a part of our reality, of our existence that that's going to happen, and uh, and I had to really check myself like how why am I like why I'm not reacting to it like I reacted to Trayvon right you know and and I, 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 and some people just honestly might say what well, the victims were in black but I know what the targets was I know why Conrad House uh, came to Kenosha any objective outlook on it would uh, tell you why it came there. And what this verdict mean, means as a precedent for the future of our protest and what we have to uh, deal with, because basically what the judge and what, what this decision has done is basically give an okay to vigilante, vigilante showing up to um, protest. And it, with armed, armed vigilantes. So I don't know. It just uh, it took, I just had to really reflect, and I'm still doing a reflecting of what has this country really did to my humanity. You know, that that yeah, I was numb to it. You know, so yeah. And it's called learned helplessness. Yeah, ahead, I think I was just gonna say, like, you know. Right. I was not surprised by the verdict. Right. And I had been, you know, catching little um, little pieces of the trial. Right. As they've been they were reporting it out. Um, And I think that because I was tuning in here and there and just like seeing, you know, some some of what was happening, the way the judge was acting. Right. The way um, the jurors was, you know, majority white folk. and then, you know, I saw some like evaluation of um, like on, on one of the news on the, one of the news channels, like they were doing this, like 
they brought in a lawyer and they were talking about like trying to get like their, that lawyer's expert opinion on like what they're seeing in the case. And they were specifically talking about when Rittenhouse was putting on that very theatrical performance of tears, right? Be- because I don't think that that shit was real. Um, so I'm calling it theatrical. Um, but anyways, all of that stuff like made me feel as though the verdict was going to be exactly what it was. Um, but I will tell you that it's, I mean, even though I knew what it was going to be, of course, like it still hurt, like it still hurts, right? Knowing um, that our system is that broken. Um, and I'm so tired of calling it like the justice system because like justice for who? Um, and so, yeah, I was just like really, really um, just angry about it um, nonetheless. But Um, I know we want to talk more about that trial and just the verdict and like how it's been impacting us and like our communities and and the people that we share space with. But, you know, one thing I did want to talk about is just the positive, you know, at Citizen Action, I had been working really hard with, you know, with the rest of the team to put on this U.S. Senate forum. And um, we had it last week, Tuesday on the 16th, um, and it was a real success. You know, we recruited over 800 people right, um, to, to tune in with us. And uh, we, we shared the view, the, the live stream of the event on, on social media and our Facebook video got over like 33,000 views. Um, oh, wow. And yeah, and so it was super dope. We had five of, what is it, like 11 candidates? Uh, there's, a, there's a ton of them, but we had five of those, those candidates on with us to just talk about issues um, that are important to us as an organization and our membership. And I'm just like super proud of the work that we did and the the viewership that we got, right? And um, in real time, while the event was going on, we were, we, were, we were able to get 26 people to sign up for a total of 54 deep canvassing shifts to talk with um, Wisconsin, Wisconsinites about the upcoming elections and um, the important issues that we want to make sure that our candidates are addressing um, while they're running for office. We sold a, a Citizen Action t-shirt. Uh, we got two new members to sign up, right? One for our Southeastern Wisconsin co-op and one um, uh, with the Northside Rising co-op. And um, I don't know. I was just, I'm just like super proud of that event and, and super happy with um, the work that our team did to, to get folks there and grateful that of those candidates that showed up and participated. Um, so yeah, I, I consider that like a win for our movement politics program within Citizen Action. Um, and so I just wanted to like lift that up and encourage folks to go watch the video if um, that's on our Facebook page, if they're interested in hearing what um, those U.S. Senate candidates had to say. I know we're like a year away from that election, but um, because there's so many candidates, I think that there's a ton of political education and candidate education that needs to get out there to folks so that they can be making informed decisions when they're in the ballot box. Um, and so, yeah, get, go gather up all that information and figure out who's going to be your candidate. So I just wanted to lift that up. I thought that was a double event. And really, uh, to have that type of turnout uh, on a, a, a random Tuesday in, the, I think, November, still in November. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's no appetite for folks to like get involved. I think they understand the stakes, man. Like, we had an interesting point in our in our history, you know, uh, 
and not to like not this is not even a pun, but we can go left or right when we on like what our politics is gonna do in the next couple of years over the next decade. So I think the general public are like understanding the stakes and for folks to turn out with the way they did and to be interested and to get the feedback that you got shows you that folks are really uh, tuned in and we have a moment. And I think that means a lot for us when it comes to organizing too. That means there's a lot of people out there want to get involved that we should be reaching out to and organizing with. So, uh, yeah, it was just a, a dope event. I appreciated uh, being able to be involved. Yeah. And, and we talked about this, Rafi, just like how critical it is to get candidates on record talking about these issues that are important to us, important to our, you know, the, the constituency of Wisconsin and like what we're organizing around and like get them, you know, like get them on record for saying like, where do they stand on these issues? Right. Like, are they with us on, on, you know, the Thrive Act on, with Medicare for all, where are they on immigration and um, policing and mass incarceration? Um, because, you know, we're the ones that, we're the ones that give them this job, right? We're the ones that put them in power, put them in elected office. And so they owe it, they owe it to us. They're working for us. They need to, you know, tell us what they're going to do and they need to be honest about it. And we need to be able to hold them to what they said. Right. And I think that this is one tool in the toolbox of how we can do that, um, with whomever becomes the candidate. And then, um, hopefully the person, this person also is ultimately taking out Ron Johnson in November of next year. But um, yeah. Was there anything in particular that you thought someone gave an answer to that you was like, okay, this was an answer that we can really organize around and mobilize around? Yeah, like anyone particularly you were like impressed by? Um, that's such a good question. I don't want to... Um, have my opinion like <laughs> you don't want to bias the jury influence right I don't want to have my imp- opinion influence anyone we still have our straw poll open to members uh to like give us their feedback and where they're thinking on what candidates is is the one for them um and you know the organization hasn't yet made an endorsement but I will say that we had some really great answers from all of those candidates uh that were on with us right Alex Lazary uh Sarah Godlewski, Mandela Barnes, Tom Nelson, and Dr. Jillian Bettino were the candidates that we had on. Um, You know, we had some good topics, right? We even took a question from the audience about CRT and like what those candidates thought about how the Republicans are are weaponizing um, CRT and that narrative. And um, so, yeah, I think it gave us a good insight to what what we're going to see from those folks. Yeah, no, most definitely. And what you said is uh, very much true, right? It's it's hard enough uh, to um, get politicians once in office to do anything, but really it's super tough if you don't have them on record saying what they will do. So it definitely helps a whole lot if they are on the record saying, look, uh, this is a part of the broad agenda or this is the thing I support with citizen action and then that's something we can hold them accountable to right so yeah yeah I mean that was awesome that was awesome and like uh, you know I, I, won't, I won't give you I won't lift you up Jojo this that was your like I know you had other events but that was like your first major event that you had deal with citizen action and uh, it was a, a big 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 success and um, I mean if that's the 
a symbol of what's to come in the future, man. We really, uh, we're going to really have a hot 2022. Yes, I love that. Yes, thank you. Um, <clears throat> so another thing that I wanted to lift up, which I think is a positive, um, I wanted to lift up the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission um, and six and their work this past week also. Um, they, you know, successfully, the, the board successfully passed um, an amendment to the operating procedures of Milwaukee Police Department to ban um, police officers from seeking and executing no knock search warrants. Um, I just think that that was a, again, like, you know, we hardly see wins in our, in our fights for justice, right. in our fights for equality. Um, and I think that that was a, a win for us, for the community. Um, you know, it's, it's a reform. So like how, how, how much are we like, you know, we're, it's like a start, right. You know, I don't know. I think about how these systems we want to, we want to abolish these systems and, um, but that's not going to happen like tomorrow. And so we have to figure out how to like work within them. And, um, if it can be taking on some reforms here and there, like I'm all for that. And I think that this is one definite win that we had last week. And I just want to lift up the FPC, um, for their work specifically shout out, uh, my homie, Amanda Avalos, um, one of the commissioners on the fire police commission, um, in Milwaukee. I'm just like super grateful for their, for their work on that. Yeah. Another thing about those kinds of changes and reforms is they don't tend to happen all at once. They can happen like gradually over the course of like a year or years or months or whatever it happens to be. So like looking back over, over, well, at this point, well over a year, but looking back to, um, Looking back to the um, start of the George Floyd marches, um, things that have happened since then, you know, there are police departments that uh, didn't have body cameras before, for example, that have body cameras now have policies around them. There's this change in the no-knock search warrant. Um, there are police chiefs who aren't police chiefs anymore. There are lieutenants and sergeants who aren't lieutenants and sergeants anymore. There are people who were employed at departments who are not anymore. So there, there's kind of this like, this um kind of weird kind of checkerboard pattern you know of things that have happened and things that are continuing to be worked on um it would be nice uh to see uh the fpc take more of a um uh take more of a open kind of direct oversight over the milwaukee police department's kind of intelligence gathering and surveillance uh related capabilities since there really isn't anything um on paper that is kind of regular you know like at the fp you know there there isn't really anything on paper besides like the surveillance camera policy that has anything to do with that and there's a lot of concerns enduring around some of that activity so it's kind of like a kind of an ebb and flow um and obviously it you know, there's a lot to be done and there are people who kind of see these as uh, band-aids over half measures at the same time. But, you know, I guess you take your checkers when you can get them, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, no, most definitely. I mean, it's almost <laughs> it's not as simple as this, but it's all when you think about like from an organizer point of view, is today better than yesterday, right? <laughs> and uh, it's definitely contributing to like today be better than yesterday. But uh, I think you know, as a movement, we gotta be you know, we gotta you know, oppression is a huge boulder, and we gotta take our chunks at it all the time. And one day it might just crumble right before us. And hopefully one day it will, but you know, you gotta take the big chunks out of it. And that that was at a local level uh a policy that's gonna um make an impact at a at a grassroots level for a lot of uh young folks of color, especially because we know how our communities are police different than anybody else's community. So uh most definitely it was it's a win, you know. So that doesn't mean what happens sometimes when you get wins, you just pack it up and go home, right? Let this, you know, you can, that's what we can do. We got to just let this be a step of stone for something, uh, something bigger, right? So it definitely allows us to state a theory of the case, right, around policing. So I think that, yeah, yeah, our police commission, thumbs up. Big props to Amanda. You know, the no-knock search warrant thing is is kind of, is kind of intriguing, you know, it, it in the sense of like, you know, the police, if, if they're going to do a, uh, a search warrant of someone's house, if they're, and obviously I'm not a police officer, so I'm speaking beyond layman's term, you know what I mean? But like, still it, you know, like there, it seems like it would be possible to that, their inability to like not do a no knock search warrant wouldn't be completely obstructionist to whatever goals they're trying to accomplish with a raid, you know, like they can still do a raid. They can still get in position around a house quietly. They just have to let people know who they are before they go in so that there's no situation where there's like people think their house is getting broken into or something, you know, like that's just a common sense kind of thing you know, from, from this kind of, and obviously the, the argument against it would be like, oh, well, you're taking away the element of surprise from them. And I guess my point is that, no, you're not really, they can still do what they have to do. It's just like, you know, once again, like you have issues like Brianna Taylor, where, you know, there are these exchanges of, of uh, either gunfire or whatever that probably wouldn't have happened if people yeah. had it had actually announced who they were you know and then after the fact with brianna taylor there's all this back and forth and twisting of the truth and potential just lies where the police don't want to really say uh with a straight answer like yeah we announced who we were or no we just went into their house or just started shooting you know uh it 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 doesn't really seem like something that they need to have or need to do you know what i mean like a no-knock search warrant um in the way that we've kind of seen them happen um it's also cool though to see just a further examination of of the police's tactics you know and more more kind of civilian input in that um when you're trying to get open records requests about certain stuff with police, they'll deny those on the basis of we don't want to reveal our tactics or our technologies or this or that to the public as then that'll affect our ability to be to police effectively. It's like that argument, I think, kind of needs to be chipped, chipped away at a little bit because, you know, it, 
we need to understand what what our local departments are doing and how they're using our our taxpayer dollars really to police to police us, you know, to monitor and et cetera. So it could be kind of like a, like a, like a good step forward to just kind of open up a conversation around, like, let's talk about exactly what you're doing and how you're doing it. Like we have a say as well, you know, as the public, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. You, you actually use a, a word that is interesting, right? I think you use it. I think you, did you say war? At some point in time, maybe I maybe I missed it. Maybe war. Did you say war on drugs or something like that? Maybe or maybe I heard misheard. But maybe um, a lot of the tax. No, that's the word. My fault. It wasn't war. It was tax. My fault. Yeah. And it's interesting you use the word tactics because a lot of the tactics that the cops use now are very much of the something like a military. And we, I think we talked about in like one of our first episodes how um, the police have been uh, militarized, right? And no knock warrants in the way raids are currently taking place. That is some military stuff, and they doing with assault rifles and AK forty seven, AR fifteen, and all different types of stuff. They kicking in doors of people, and it's for a lot of them are nonviolent uh, drug offenses, mm-hmm. right? So. Mm-hmm. A lot of what we we're seeing now is I, I talked about this at one of our uh, open episodes, the war abroad coming home, and as much and we don't really talk about it like we should or make an issue of it like we should, but as much as we can like push back on that, right? Because folks in Sherwood is not being their doors not being kicked in. Their kids are doing just as much as drugs as our kids are doing, right? So um, this is an equity issue more than anything. And how we are actually interacting with police and what police believe is all right to do in our community. So it's it's really big in that way to like address the tactics that police are using because there's been a rise in uh, this type of military stance that our local police forces have taken since um, the 90s. Yeah, we, I mean, even, um, you know, I've even heard, you know, I've heard even uh, well okay i mean like i've heard even very like long story short you know like when you're talking about district attorneys or just various public officials you know they kind of speak about not just the militarization of of police but the paramilitarization of police Mm. in in almost just a matter of fact kind of way you know like it's completely normal it's like seeing sparrows or something you know um and it's not just, you know, you know, it's the tactics and the kit and everything, but it's also, uh, you know, the the culture that can be maintained within different departments, different units. I'm sure that the tactical enforcement unit has a different attitude than the general patrol guys, even though there is this generalized warrior type culture that we really can't ignore with American policing. Um uh, and then, yeah, there, there's just a, there, 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 there's things like that. And then there's also just more direct concrete things, just this trickle down of equipment, armored gear, um, armored vehicles, things that are designed to, to survive IED explosions in Afghanistan end up in local police department's hands more quickly than it does, you know, some Marines who actually need it. 
you know, a lot of the surveillance technologies and strategies around surveillance, like stingrays and stuff like that stuff was first practiced in war zones. And then it comes over here because it's proven effective. A lot of the companies that make this stuff are defense contractors. So it's important once again, to have a conversation around those tactics and that's what they are. And, and also to kind of have a conversation around why do, is there such a kind of warrior, uh, you know, like having a warrior mentality is one thing, but you know, last year there were literally minivans with kitted out camouflage dudes with no identification, snatching people, you know, into the vans and disappearing them, you know? So, I mean, that isn't just like an armored vehicle going down the street. That's literally like some black ops type stuff, you know, that someone practiced overseas. So it's like the, it, this, this trickle down effect in the war coming home. And of course, the fact that the war on drugs really sustains and perpetuates a lot of this stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's important to have a conversation around that and, when things like the FPC banning no-knock search warrants, it, it all happens. It offers an opportunity for that. Uh, similar thing happened last year, uh, last summer, right? Like after um, the rubber bullets and stuff were used by MPD during the protests, the city has a meeting where they're talking about armored vehicles and et cetera. It's like, shouldn't you guys already have been kind of caught up with this stuff, but I'm glad you're talking about it now. Once again, it would be nice to hear you talk about surveillance though, you know, as well. There's no mention of that. That's very serious and concerning and not a peep from it really from the FPC. So it, it you know, we'll see, we'll see with time, you know, there's, there's new police chiefs and et cetera. We'll, we'll see how far down this road we actually go, you know, um, I don't know. What do you guys think? What what, uh, what would you like to see the FPC take on next? Probably lying to you if I had like a specific. I, you know, I, the whole it's the whole system for me. Right, <laughs> the whole system for me. Like I want it, uh, and but I also know that uh, it takes work to do when it comes to political education and getting that message out there and creating real alternatives. Right. I, I, I that's why I'm at where with policing. Right. I really want. To, to like start practicing the alternatives to policing in our community. So for me, it's not even um, the FPC. It's like getting together with folks and, create, and imagining a future without it, <laughs> right? Like that's where I'm at and like really trying to have those conversations. And then, honestly, I, I'm at the beginning of those conversations myself and assessing what you, what's a real a viable alternative to our current police system, right? Um, so yeah, for the, when I think about it is, you know, let's, again, I go back to saying that it's a big boulder that we got to take our, our trunks out of and just keep on chipping at it as much as we can. But at the same time, we have to be reimagining what that looks like without even entering a, a governmental body like, uh, FPC, you know, because they, they got limitations on what they can really do too, because they have to work within and compromise within the system of government. Um, the current conditions that people face, if you really want to give them true liberation or true freedom, it, it can't come with compromises. And that's our job at the grassroots level to like build that so we can have actual 
people who really give a damn on the FPC can have when that they back and mobilize and organize people pushing for real things. Yeah. Um, you know, the FPC in Milwaukee too has been in the middle of a lot of tug of wars between um, the mayor's office, Barrett's office and the state, you know, as to like who it, it, people, those two parties kind of trying to influence it and influence the structure, influence how it works, you know? Yeah, 100%. That, and that's part of the limitations of what it, what that can actually do, right? So, and then if you if you get people energized around an issue, but you got to kind of funnel their expectations through the lens of what's possible through the FPC, you kind of limiting which imagination can be. I think I think it was Joanna talked about this our last episode, maybe the episode before last, how imagination is important to movements, right? So mm-hmm. I think it's really important for us to take into account what the FBC is doing, understand what they're doing, and if they're doing some dope stuff, support it. Uh, but outside of that, that institution be really thinking about big, bold strategies to move us completely away from our current uh, system, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. I think because, right, like there's these structures and systems that are in place that are clearly not designed, you know, for people like us, right, for people of color, for the working class. Um, But then there's also those people that are working within those structures and within those systems to keep them as they are, right, to keep them in place. And so, you know, yes, while we're having like our conversations of and like just dreaming and imagining like what it can be like without them. Um, you know, like you said, like it's also like operating within them right now. And, you know, when we have people that are for us and for the movement within those structures, it, it, it can only be a good thing and only be a positive thing. Like, you know, that's why for me and my work, why it's so important for me to like work on recruiting folks to run for office, right? Because this structure of government and having elected officials isn't going to go away. But what is something real that I feel like I can work on and make a change on like right now is like recruiting somebody to run for, you know, the Milwaukee County Board or recruiting someone to run for, um, you know, city council in in Wausau or in La Crosse or wherever, right? Um, So yeah, just like, like doing both, right? Like we can do both um, work in the systems that are existing and like try to organize around them and organize out of them. And then, you know, having these conversations on the side of like, how do we, how do we dissolve this? How, you know, cause I mean, you know, back to the Kyle, Kyle Rittenhouse trial, I mean, yeah. President Biden was saying that, you know, the jury system works, this works. So, you know, I, and I'm just like, how can I mean, you say that? I mean, looking at Rittenhouse and Ahmaud Arbery, like it, which is in Georgia, but it's like, why is it that in situations like this, there's only one non-white person on the jury in each time, you know, like why, why, why are some of these things like clear, you know, it's not lost on on really anyone who's who's been looking at it and thinking of of fire and police commissions or police and fire commissions which are slightly different things what whichever or the city of kenosha has 
you know, like they have a lot of problems or issues that they or conversations that they need to be having probably right now that are completely different from the ones that Milwaukee uh, can be, you know, should be having right now. You know, the Milwaukee Police Department isn't accused with evidence, video evidence, documentation evidence. The Milwaukee Police Department doesn't stand accused of enabling and helping right-wing armed militias which led up to the which led up to the Kyle Rittenhouse thing you know um that's something that really needs to be tackled by the bodies of by the government by the entity by the parts of the Kenosha government that are supposed to be responsible for having oversight over the police's actions and also like their future you know like what are you going to do in the future to make sure that this doesn't happen like imagine if the armored vehicle who that pulled up next to Kyle and offered them water and praise and stuff. Imagine if they just would have like done that and then ran their ID or asked them who they were or did anything to determine like, Oh, he's underage and he shouldn't have this, this rifle and his parents aren't out here. So it's not like he's out here with a guardian, you know, like imagine if, if any of these kinds of things just would have been done, you know, it, if so many things had gone different um, procedurally with the department and, the actions of law enforcement on the ground during those nights, which was the giant elephant in the room throughout that entire trial that neither side really wanted to tackle too deeply because it's, it's damning of the, of the entire system, you know, before Kyle was even taken into custody. And once he is found not guilty, how come he was allowed to like have a, like pick pick the jury names from like a raffle thing you know, how come any decisions from you know like it, all these things are um of question but once again the giant elf in the room is the the actions of law enforcement during those nights that enabled conflicts between these armed groups and protesters you know um kenosha really yeah, needs you know to face that you know what really pissed me off about the whole reaction afterwards? It was one of the gaslighting, man. Like, don't believe your eyes. It was a lot of don't believe your eyes, right? Like, we know if that was a brother <laughs> who went into a MAGA rally with an AR-15, instigated conflict, shot and, shot and killed two people, wounded another, that brother would be under their jail. We know that. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I have no doubt in my mind. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that pissed me off was uh, there's a lot of white liberal betrayal. And that goes to what uh, uh, China was talking about. I, I saw a lot of folks who would consider this stuff on the left side of politics rationalizing the self-defense claim, right? And that's a long tradition in our country. It's a lot of folks who much rather seek class and racial solidarity with their white working class brothers and sisters especially when it comes to the issue of race. You can go back to um, the Civil War, right, and allowing the South back into the Union with very little penalty, or the 1877 Compromise, or even going up into a lot of the uh, the civil rights, um, post-civil rights stuff. Uh, This is a tradition, and it really makes you think a lot about when, when push comes to shove, and we're really talking about doing and going at the structures um, that keep the 
current people in power, current system in power, will you will we really have allies? I hate that word. I much rather use accomplices, but I think most people move as allies because when time comes, they they shift allegiances. Do we really have it? And what does that mean for us as uh, African Americans and people of color? Right? Do we really have folks um, who are uh, white brothers and sisters who claim to be in a fight? Who's going to really stick in on the fight with us? And even I know the victims were white, but I, that was I think this case was just a pure sign of if you want to if you want to be out there for protesting with uh, black folks, we're going to treat you like black folks, and you're going to have the same result. And I think we all know what this was really about. So I don't know. That's you know that was just been on my mind. You know, the whole last four or five days. Yeah, it's also kind of it's intriguing for me to see. Um, I don't know. It's 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 because uh, I kind of use Wauwatosa sometimes. It's like my experimental control group or proxy for these kinds of things perceptually sometimes and i just see and i just see a lot of people who i knew um going to high school there and etc who you know would say certain jokes or make certain comments back then but somehow still didn't consider themselves kind of like having some negative opinions about minority people in general or about the city of milwaukee and now they are kind of, you know, uh, not only defending the the uh, like like you said, kind of advocating for the self defense arguments, but also, but also kind of saying, well, if you disagree with that, then it's it's then you're kind of unintelligent, and this is really about our rights and et cetera. Um, those people didn't speak up when people were, when cars were driving through, trying to drive through protest crowds, you know, or any number of things when people's rights were being violated. Uh, it's just kind of funny to see what people kind of, kind of speak up for and when they don't speak up for something. Um, and also, yeah, like, is, is this, and, and, you know, it, it remains to be seen. I'm like, Kyle just went on Tucker call. Carlson, it remains to be seen exactly how long he's going to go on this speaking tour, how long he's going to be praised, how how long, you know, gun channels and military YouTube channels are going to give him free coffee and T-shirts and stuff, you know, just. It, no, that, that, he's going to be on Joe Rogan by this time next week, though. <laughs> he's going to be on, you know, and in this country, that's who you can Kyle Rittenhouse can be turned into a hero. So that was George Zimmerman, you know? And I mean, what like, actually, it? yeah, go, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to shoot out that actually we, we do kind of have an interesting kind of comparison. I mean, like we, we can comparisons comparing the Kyle Rittenhouse thing to any number of cases, but I mean, a few days after the Rittenhouse incident, there is a incident in Portland, Oregon, where a, uh, accused left-wing kind of protester shot at and killed a right-wing demonstrator and the u.s marshals found that guy didn't even arrest him a lot of witnesses said the u.s marshals just got out of it just got out and started shooting 
base, you know, and then the, uh, you know, didn't like know where where the police, you know, get on the ground, just basically a targeted kill. And then Trump was talking about it, how, oh, yeah, you know, they knew who he was. They didn't want to arrest him. And three minutes later, it was over. We got him. And it just sounded like a targeted kill like we would do in Afghanistan or something. Once again, that trickle down effect. And we saw the U.S. Marshals doing all kinds of creepy covert things and during the protests and stuff. So we actually do have a proxy of and the U.S. Marshals were in Kenosha and they were looking for Kyle. And some of those U.S. Marshals who were in Kenosha were also in Portland. They demobilized and went to Kenosha. So, you know, we actually do have kind of a direct comparison of like in one situation, this happened in another situation, this happened. <laughs> same summer, same protest, same president. Same agency. What was his name? I forget his name. His name was like Michael. I forget what it was, but it was a great artist. It's a funny, yeah. an It's a funny last name. I I'll pull it up. Um, Michael Frost R- Ryle. Uh, I don't know how to say his last name. R e i n o e h l. Forty eight years old. Shot by a federally led fugitive task force. Kind of funny because they had a fugitive task force arrest the Cole family too. All these connecting dots. <laughs> so I don't know. Just... Uh, I wish I could find it, but we only got a couple minutes left. But the the prosecutor in the Ahmad Arbery case had a great statement um about self defense. Oh man, I can't find it. But it was basically in uh you she basically to paraphrase she said you can't start something and claim self defense, right? Mm-hmm. That's exactly what we legalize or basically set precedent for here in more here in Wisconsin with the verdict. It was right. you go in there cause trouble. I know too many brothers who 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 was not even the direct actor in, in a crime. They were just around in a crime and they got time in jail, right? This brother introduced the introduced and started a lot of the issue, uh, started what went down in Kenosha and he got off completely. Um, it's just, yeah. Again, the precedent that this set is something that people who are in movement work really going to have to take seriously and what that means for uh, ourselves moving forward and how we must protect ourselves moving forward. Yeah. Um, the closing arguments for the Ahmad Aubrey case or for trial are going on now. I think that we should be paying attention to the verdict in that. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, and also pay attention to the continued comments of their defense attorneys there. One was talking about how he didn't want any more black pastors in the uh, courtroom to influence the jury. And recently they had a lady uh, lawyer who was talking, who was describing Ahmad and his long legs and his long, disgusting toenails, and it's like, yeah. just, 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 what the, what, what, what does that matter? Like, just, 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 <laughs> just like say some like pro Confederate stuff, like already, just like walk in with like a Confederate flag shirt or something. Why don't you? You know what I mean? Like, what, what more? Yeah could could be set i mean like you're you're just basically saying you know oh you know he's he's big black and scary and gross 
you should find these guys not guilty for pursuing him in a pickup truck and shooting him with a shotgun. (laughs) He didn't have any socks on. Yeah. Yeah, like she was like, he didn't have any socks on. It's like, so? Right. So? Killed for not wearing socks? Yeah, and having long legs and not clipping his toenails and running. I mean, look, 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 it's, it, it, you have to be a person really trying to avoid the obvious to avoid what's been going on in just these two cases, right? Like, this is very clear contradiction. I mean, Kyle Rittenhouse just through the whole process. I mean, the simple, the simple fact that he made it to the police and wasn't shot on the spot shows you the difference of treatment. But his whole process from arrest, giving bail, being able to take pictures in bars with uh, Proud Boys and Donut White Supremacy. You would get revoked uh, just for that. You would get revoked just for taking those pictures because you're not taking the process seriously. You're not showing remorse, you know? If you were on probation nope. for anything else, you would get revoked for that. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I don't bond. The charming nature with the judge, the, the his being able to select uh, members of the jury, do like a raffle or whatever the hell that was. To the verdict. I mean, he was just a clear example uh, about what's going on. But even the judge, I mean, the the, the um, in the Ahmad Albury case, you had eleven. I think it was eleven and one split with white jurors to uh, African American and black jurors. You also had the, a prosecutor uh, calling out. Uh, I think it was Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson saying you have black pastors in the audience. That, that was the defense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, defense. said it, and then with this. Dirty toenail things. I mean, white supremacy has been showing they they behind. You know, let me clean it up. They behind this last, uh, you know, definitely the last. Uh, uh, when it comes to their courses, and just be super obvious about it within the last uh, uh, week and a half. But this is just what the system is. You know, just we're paying attention to it. So, you know. heavy. And I know this is going to be. This yeah. was supposed to be a so though. That's you know. And, uh, but like, that's to... why I think that's right. Like, that's why we created this space, right? Like, that's why that's how that's where the thought of the this is not that podcast came from. It's so it centers like making sure that we have a space to have these heavy conversations in a way that we know is important and necessary, right? Like, it's not just being articulated to us through, you know, mainstream media, right? It's it's us, regular people, organizers, journalists, young people of color in the community, um, giving our analysis of like what we're seeing um, and how it's impacting us. Um, and so, so yeah, that's why we're here to have these heavy conversations and to be real. Um, but we do have to wrap up. Um, super grateful for that you all. Of course you can, Um, but I I just want y'all to know, like, I'm super grateful to be able to share this space with the two of you and have these conversations. Go ahead, Rafi. Oh, you just you just stepped all over what I was I was about to be really corny and be like, (laughs) in the spirit of giving, I'm really thankful to have this space with y'all. You know, but you know, you you got me, you you did it, (laughs) you you took it. You know, that means we're working like. Like, uh, like, uh, what is that? ESP. Like, we're right there. We're connected. So that's a good thing for the podcast. But you know, okay. I do appreciate uh, being able to work on these issues with y'all. So, all right, y'all.
Go. All right, y'all. We'll see you next time. Happy holidays. Peace. Peace.